support I get in the back there. Love you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's pray for a minute before we jump into the word tonight. Father, we love you. We confess, God, that we love you, God. We love you because you first loved us. So we ask, Lord, that tonight you would pour forth greater revelation, God, of your love for us in this place, God, of your glory in this place, God, that our eyes would be opened. There would be an opening of eyes, a great opening of eyes and a great opening of hearts, God, tonight to see you, God. God, we confess that's what what we desire more than anything, God, is to see you, to know you. To stir those desires within us, God. Tonight, Father. We love you. We set our hearts completely on you. We thank you. We ask those things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, we are at the very beginning of a brand new sewing season. That's weak. We are at the beginning of a brand new sewing season. Are you guys excited? Oh, come on. Come on. The sewing season. Sewing season is an incredible time. For those of you who've been around church for a while, you know how much fruit has come through sewing season. So much has happened. So much has changed. So much has been built up and increased in this church through our specifically designated seasons for sowing into the lives of the people here at this church. And uh, it's also a season of, of a lot of busyness for a lot of people, a lot of things going on. And for, for those of you who are students, lots of students here tonight, yeah, like whether high school, we got some high school students. Are, are you high school students? Not you, Caleb. You're not a high school student. <laughs> high school students excited to be here tonight. Man, all right. I believe you. I believe in your heart you are excited to be here. Are you excited for a new school year? Yeah, not really. Okay, when I was in high school, I wasn't that excited either, but that's okay. There's glory waiting for you at school. Do you believe that? There's glory waiting for you at high school this semester? Like, there, there's an increase coming to at KICS. There's an increase coming to your school this semester. I'm just going to speak that out right now. So be excited for it. Really, for real, for real. Last semester was just a taste. This semester is more. Uh, but yeah, there is, uh, there's a lot of things going on. For myself and Pastor Myungwa and Pastor Marcus, uh, we just started up our semester, actually our last semester at Torch Trinity. Yeah. Uh, we've been there for the last few years, the last two and a half years, and it's been, it's been amazing. But sewing season's always, it's a season where there's a lot of things going on. And, uh, and we've got another full semester, lots of work, lots of assignments. Uh, on top of, of the ministry that we have that we are privileged to be a part of at church. And for a lot of us, the sewing season is a time of, of just lots going on. And there's more going on than just ministry at church and school and teaching, but there are difficulties that we face with our families, a lot of us. There are challenges there. There are challenges with all sorts of things, with landlords, with employers, with, with different things. And, 
And that can really weigh on us in a time like this. And what I felt the Lord saying to me for tonight is that he had a desire to take people up tonight above our circumstances, above our our present day, day day-to-day situations, and to get more of an eagle-eyed view of what's going on. And what we're going to do is, is have a look at what the Apostle Paul says about challenges and hardships and difficulties. Because there, there's a promise in the Word of God that, that we're all going to face hardships. Jesus promises us that in this life we will have trouble. The other side of that is that he's going to give us his peace and so many more things beyond that. But we're going to look at tonight what the Apostle Paul has to say about challenges and difficulties. And to do that, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 4. So please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians four. Okay, we're looking at verse sixteen. Very interesting statement the Apostle Paul makes. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. One thing the Apostle Paul knew how to do is put things in perspective. And I, actually, I really love the book of 2 Corinthians because it has so much to do with that. Paul's explaining to the church at Corinth how to see things rightly. He's giving them a, a lesson on perspective. And that's, uh, that's what he's doing in this passage here, talking about momentary troubles. You guys ever watch... Um, there, there's this video that's on YouTube... With, uh, I'm not sure who did the study, but what they do is they have like a classroom or, or, or a small room and they have a child in there sitting at a table and they put a marshmallow on the table. You guys seen that? It's, it's pretty funny. It was really interesting actually. They have student after student come to this classroom or whatever room it is. They sit at this table. There's nothing else. No one else in the classroom. And they put a marshmallow in front of the child. These child, these children are pretty young. They're four or five years old or whatever it might be. And uh, they say, you can eat this marshmallow. It's up to you. But if you wait, now I forget what it is, five or ten minutes or whatever it might be, I'll give you two marshmallows. Okay? But you have to wait. If you eat it right now, you don't have any more. That's it. You just get the one marshmallow. 
And it's interesting to see these different children's reactions to that and how, how difficult it is for them. Some of these kids, look this up on YouTube tonight. Some of these kids are like, they're agonizing because they want the marshmallows so bad, so badly. But they know, they have, they have enough sense already that if they wait just long enough, they'll get two, which is way better. Because two marshmallows, when you're a child, you know at least that much that two, two marshmallows are better than one. That is a greater glory. <laughs> two marshmallows, greater glory than one marshmallow. All right, so, so when you're watching the video, you see that some of these children succeed and wait it out, and some of them decide not to, and they just eat it. They're like, oh, forget this. I'm going to take this. This is what I want. I just want this marshmallow, right? And, and so there's this principle, even, even there in that classroom, that there are trials and, and difficulties and challenges we face, but if we, if we wait for it, there's a greater glory coming, a far greater glory. And what makes this statement by the Apostle Paul really interesting is that his life situation, none of us would really consider it light and momentary or easy or anything like that. Like, compared to our lives, it's nothing. And Paul outlines that very clearly in the same book, in the same letter to the same people at Corinth. He explains what he's been going through. So look at 2 Corinthians. I'll just flip a few pages to chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians. Look at verse 24. And Paul says this. And what he, he's talking to, referring to um, false teachers and false apostles who were trying to undermine his authority in the city of Corinth. And he's trying to explain to them his, uh, his legitimacy in his ministry. And he, he explains what he goes through in life. It says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? Okay, so when Paul talks about his light and momentary troubles, this is the context for that. This is what he's talking about. These are his light and momentary troubles. He had 40 minus 1 lashes with the whip. The, the idea there is that 40 lashes was enough to kill a man. Right? So... They took one lash. They didn't want it. They had no interest in killing Paul. They wanted to bring him as close as they possibly could to death and then just leave him there. Didn't want to kill him. Just, just wanted to leave him there. He had it five times, beaten within a literal inch of his life. 
five times. Okay? He had beaten by rods three times. Not pleasant. He was stoned. Now, when you're stoned, that, that's, there's no intention to leave a man alive after he's been stoned. The intention is to kill him. They, he, was, he was preaching in a city. They dragged him outside of the city. They stoned him. They thought he was dead. And he just kind of laid there. And then eventually he, he, uh, he got back up and went back into the city to minister because the Apostle Paul did things like that. All right? That's the kind of man he was. This was his life. These were his lights and momentary trials. He was shipwrecked three times. Who gets shipwrecked three times? Like, his, his life, people haven't made enough movies of the life of the Apostle Paul. His life was incredible. Okay, light and momentary trials. This is what he's talking about. He was set adrift at sea for a day and a half. And this is all after Paul left his family. We don't know much about this. The Bible doesn't give us specific details about what happened. But he was a persecutor of Christians. He had a high position of authority among the Jews. When he came to Christ, he needed to leave his family He needed to leave his friends. He needed to leave his position of authority, his high position of affluence and influence among the Jews. And there are even, there there are ideas out there. There are scholars who will say that he was potentially married at one point and his his wife would have left him after coming to Christ. Now that's not found in scripture. We're just saying this is what likely happened based on what he went through. He doesn't even mention that to the Corinthians. That, that's all in the past. These are his lights and momentary trials and afflictions. So now when we read, let's, let's read it again. 2 Corinthians 4. Now that we have that context. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the other thing, or the things that are unseen are eternal. That's the context of this passage. Now, how, you might ask yourself, how can Paul say this? What is, is Paul crazy? Because a lot of people would think he's lost his mind. Nothing he's saying here makes sense. If you don't understand also the glory that the Apostle Paul has experienced. Now, turn back to 2 Corinthians 12. Keep flipping around. Look at verse 1 from 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard many things, or he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. 
Now, Paul's talking here in the, in the third person, but there isn't a scholar that I've come across who doesn't believe that Paul is talking about himself here. What he's saying is that 14 years previous to this, he was caught up, it says, in the third heaven. What he's talking about is heaven. We've got a first, second, a second heaven in space is believed, and the third heaven is heaven itself. Paul was taken up to glory. And whatever Paul saw in that place, whatever Paul experienced in that place, made him write what he wrote in chapter 4. What he experienced there was the basis for him considering his present trials as light and momentary. Basically nothing, worth nothing. He's, Paul's saying, these, they're not even worth considering all these things because of what I saw up there. Because of that. And then you want to ask Paul, like, so Paul, what did you see? You know, what was it like? And what did he say? He saw things and he heard things that man can't utter. I'm sorry, I can't tell you. I went up there, I saw the most incredible things, but I can't tell you about it. I'm really sorry about that. I just, I'm not permitted to, I'm not allowed to. The good thing about that though, is that what he was not allowed to utter, the apostle John was told, write this down. They both went up to the same place. Paul was said, Paul was told, don't say anything to anyone. The apostle John was told, write this down because the church needs this. They need to know what Paul saw. They need to know why he wrote what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. They need to make sense of this. Now, before we go on to that, we're going to go into Revelation in a bit. But before we go on to there, there is a glory that we experience on earth. Actually, everyone experiences the glory of God on earth. Do you believe that? There is a glory that even non-Christians, people who don't know Jesus, who don't worship him, who have no interest in Jesus, they experience the glory of God. They experience the glory of God in things like sunrises and sunsets. I come from a place in Canada where there are amazing sunrises and sunsets. It's glory. It's glorious. You don't have to be a Christian to experience that. Also in Canada, you get like the stars. In Seoul, you don't see the stars. It's, it's really kind of sad. But last week in the praise went on a retreat out in Kyungido, and, uh, and we looked up, a few of us looked up in the, star, the, the sky at night. Stars were amazing out there. It's like Korea actually does have stars. <laughs> You know, you just don't see them in Seoul. But that's a glory that anyone experiences. There are also glories that the church experiences on earth that go far beyond that. We experience glory, the glory of God in so many ways on earth. Week after week, when we come together, there's glory tonight while a praise team is leading us in praise. Glory. When we come together and we worship God on Sundays, glory, glory. We're getting a taste of glory. It's, it's so good. You see the glory of God when, you, when you're discipling someone and you see them catch a truth for the first time. Their eyes light up and they get it. Glory. When you see a life transform before your eyes, so much glory. 
Yeah, when you see chains broken off of a life and a person set free in Christ, glory. We're going to go to this retreat in a couple of weeks. It's going to be filled with glory. It's going to be a time, there's going to be a higher level of glory, a greater level of glory than we've experienced at these retreats. Isaiah 6, these seraphim are surrounding the throne of God. And they say something pretty interesting. They say, well, they're crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The earth is filled with the glory of God. But you know, the greatest taste of glory that you've had on this earth, and there is a lot of it, is only scratching the surface of what is yet to come. We go to the throne, and we're actually positioned in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father. So we experience, we taste the throne room, but it's not quite like when we go there and there are no barriers, there are no walls. We will see him face to face, the Bible says. We'll see him face to face and we'll be changed, we'll be transformed completely. Whatever the Apostle Paul saw up there, because he experienced all sorts of glory on earth. He, he started all these churches. He saw all these revivals. But he said, what, what, I, what he saw up there, the glory that is yet to come, that w- that's what caused him to say, these trials, as great as they are, are light and momentary. So we're going to take some time. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. And we're just going to spend some time considering what the Apostle Paul might have saw when he went up to the third heaven. Look at chapter 4. It's becoming more and more a well-known passage at our church, and that's a really good thing. And I invite you, actually, even though it's open in front of you, I want you to close your eyes. And Spirit of God, we ask right now that you would pour out revelation, God, as we read, as we receive, God, your word right now. As we receive, yes, God, the words that you gave your servant, John, to write down from what he saw in your throne room. Open our eyes to see what he saw right now. Thank you, Lord. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. 
And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open in heaven? Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders... I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. You can open your eyes. Beloved, there is a glory that is waiting for us. There is an inheritance waiting for us that won't perish or spoil or fade. We're actually going to turn to one more passage in Revelation. Go to Revelation 21. And you can read along this time. verse 1 in Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Beloved, there is a glory. There is a glory that is waiting for us that makes anything we face in this life. And I don't make light of anyone's difficulty because there are people in this room going through things that are incredibly difficult. But there is a glory that is waiting for us. And we're going to be there soon. Do you believe that? Came across this, this interesting insight mathematically about eternity. I don't know how many of you like math. Do you guys like math? Wow. Okay, that, that's a good response. I know a lot of Koreans, I don't want to stereotype, a lot of Koreans like math. When I went to high school, we had Koreans who did really well at math. It's good. But here, here's a very interesting question. If you divide any finite number by infinity, what is the answer? Who knows? Zero? Are you sure? Sole is not sure. She's shaking. I don't know. Uh, anyone, is anyone certain about that? You pretty sure? Yeah. The answer is zero. The answer is always... You know, well, you didn't say anything, so I didn't hear you say it. <laughs> but you got it right? Okay, you got it right. Go to you. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Myungwa. Yeah, if you divide any finite number by infinity, the answer is always exactly zero. Let me put that in perspective for us. If you were to live on earth for, say, 80 years, that's a pretty long life, within the scope of eternity, you will have lived exactly zero. Exactly, mathematically. If you were to be really healthy as an elderly man and live to 105 years old, it happens from time to time, compared to the scope of eternity, your eternal existence, you will have lived exactly zero on earth. If you were to live on earth for a million years, if that were possible, and we know it's not, if you were to live on earth for a million years in the scope of eternity, considering your eternal existence, you will have lived on earth for exactly zero time. That is putting our lives in perspective, beloved. Do you want to know how close you are to glory, to the glory of heaven? You want to, it's, it's right there. It's right here. It's right. In, it's, it's not far. It's coming right away. We, we get so caught up with the things on earth. So caught up with it that we think glory in heaven is, is so far away. 
And it's going to take forever. No, it's, it's actually right in front of you when you consider things eternally, when you have an eternal perspective of what's going on. And now some people get that understanding. A lot of people in the church get the understanding. And they take the stance that, well, okay, I'm going to be with Jesus soon in heaven. And my, by the blood of Jesus, my, my eternity is secure. My salvation is secure in him. So I'm just going to coast through my life. And I'll get there soon. And, and I'm just going to have a, a good time and... And it's, it's just going to live my life that way. A lot of people in the church, they take that approach, you know, and they, they bunker down. They say, I'm not going to get touched by the world. I'm just going to protect myself and I'm going to be in heaven in glory with Jesus very soon. A lot of people will take that approach to living. But the apostle Paul was one person who rejected that outright. The Apostle Paul was one. He understood this. He understood that he was going to be in glory with Jesus very soon. And that fact made him press in all the more. He's like, I don't have much time. I've got to, ser- I got to build the kingdom. I've got to be a part of what God's doing. I've got to align myself with him and run with him right now. I've got to run with him because time is short. This is his, his approach. If you look at 1 Corinthians 9, I'll just, I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 9. This is Paul's approach to life. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul wanted to run and run well throughout the rest of his life. He wanted to make his life count. He's like, I don't have much time here. I've got to make my life count now. What's in my heart out of this passage, out of this truth for New Philadelphia specifically, but for the church in general in this hour, is that this is the hour to press in. This is the hour to go for it. There is so much at stake in this hour. And Jesus is coming back soon. That that eternal glory is actually, it's a lot closer, I believe, for us because Jesus is coming back right away. And this is an hour for the church to press in and see things from an eternal perspective. I have to confess that when I, when I get into busy seasons of life, I tend to complain a bit because there's so much going on. There's not enough time And I just want some rest. I just want some vacation or something, you know? And actually, 
Like, New Philly, there's, there's a lot going on at New Philly. And at seminary, Pastor Marcus and Pastor Myungwa and myself, uh, we get to interact with the pastors of the different English churches. And, and when they find out how much is going on at New Philly, one of the responses to us as pastors is like, man, that's, that's, that's kind of too bad. Like you, you got, you don't get any time to yourself. You know, you're always busy with stuff. You can't hang out with us, that sort of thing. And there are times when I, when I get tempted to be like, and I don't just get tempted. Sometimes I just give in saying, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's pretty tough. And, and I, I let them feel bad for me, you know, because we all want people to feel bad for us and, and for them to think that our lives are really hard and that sort of thing. But the more I think about it, and God just impresses this on me, that we are so honored for those of us in New Philly to be in a church that's going for it. A church that's not waiting around, but we are going for it. In this season, we have, a, we have a sense of what God's doing in this hour. And we're jumping on board with what God's doing. We're saying yes and amen. We're in it, Lord, with you, for you. Pastor Marcus preached a joint prayer meeting last month. And he was asking this question. It's like, are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to sacrifice in this season? Are you willing to do that? And that's what God's calling us to in this hour. Beloved, the truth is that all of us have a tendency to complain. Is that true? Whether we complain to other people or just inwardly to ourselves. And what I feel God is calling us to is to rise up above the situation First of all, we see the glory of what's happening in and around us through what we're doing, through what we're a part of. Because there's so much glory being manifested in and around us here on earth. And God's saying, okay, now take a look above and see the glory of what you're going to, what you're going for, where you'll be right away. It says, have these things in mind and press on. Press in. Beloved, press in. We're going to take some time to pray.